Our first scripture reading this afternoon comes from the first book of the Kings, chapter 19, verses 1 through 15. Hear the word of the Lord. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom brush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled forty days and forty nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here? Elijah. He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came, and go to the desert of Damascus. Our New Testament reading today is Galatians chapter 3, verses 23 through 29. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came 
that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. This is the word of the Lord. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. I'm sure at least some of you have heard at this point about the massacre in Orlando last weekend. Fifty. Fifty lives were cut short last weekend for no real reason and many more were changed forever. No real reason, anyway. Just hate and fear. Nothing more. This is an incident that competes in number to slaughters of Native Americans, African Americans, and other minority groups in some of our country's darkest times. At a time when we want to pride ourselves in our wonderful, civilized culture, we continue to slide back into patterns of hate from centuries gone by. Forty-nine daughters, sons, sisters, brothers, partners, parents, and friends were murdered by a man who couldn't see their humanity through his inexplicable anger and hate. Murdered by a man whose hate and fear wound up taking his own life as well. That is what this is really about. That is what all of these mass murders are about. From Wounded Knee to Sandy Hook to Orlando. They are about sin. Hate and fear clouding one person's ability to see the humanity of the people around them. When you do a search online or look through the newspapers to see how many people were killed last week in that nightclub shooting, most of the results you'll get will say that there were 49 people killed. But 50 people died that night. One of them died after killing the other 49, but 50 people still died. It's easy to forget the humanity of the shooter in our desire to remind the world of the humanity of the victims. The shooter was a sick man, but he was still human. This whole thing is infuriating. It's frustrating. It's terrifying. Fear begets fear. Anger begets anger. Violence begets violence. And so we are left wondering, now what? How do we break the cycle of violence and discrimination and hate and fear that took hold of our country hundreds of years ago and will not let go to this day? Very few of us will ever be in a position where we will be called to be direct responders to a situation like 9-11 or the Charleston church shooting. 
So we're left feeling helpless, frustrated, and even numb to the horror of what's happening in the world around us. We can and should stand up for what is right. We can and should champion the cause of compassion, justice, unity, and grace. We can and should build our lives on faith, hope, and love. And very few people out there, Christian, Muslim, Jewish, Jewish, Buddhist, atheist, or other, will disagree with what I just said about standing up for what is right and for love and hope and faith. So why? Why do hate, injustice, prejudice, and fear still run rampant in our world? Why do we still have extreme hate groups like the KKK, Westboro Baptist Church, or ISIS out there? If they are the minority, why is their voice so much louder? I think that G.K. Chesterton hit the nail on the head when he wrote, The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. It's not that there is anything wrong with standing up for what's right. You'll find few people who will tell you you shouldn't stand up for what is right. It's good to champion compassion, justice, unity, and grace. It's lovely in theory to live a life built on faith, hope, and love. But man, it's hard. While the lead-up in Elijah's story is quite different to ours, he's left feeling the same kind of way. The prophet called by God to stand up for what is right and true did not find the road easy. There are enemies out to kill him. There is violence and bloodshed all around, and he is stuck in a cave by himself trying to figure out, now what? The prophet who previously had shown up a whole slew of the false god Baal's prophets, was now a terrified mess. The prophets of Baal had been slaughtered for their inability to make good on what they'd said they could do, but instead of receiving some sort of accolades for outing their falsehoods, Elijah was now on the run from an evil queen, an evil queen who was slaughtering all of the good prophets of Israel. Elijah stood up for what was right, but the evil was louder. Queen Jezebel was a bad guy of Disney-like proportions. And even after doing what God called him to do, Elijah finds himself hiding in a cave, waiting for further instruction from God. Then we fast forward to Galatians today, and we see this this word of scripture about being heirs to the promise. Scripture says that if we belong to Jesus, we are heirs to the promise. What sort of promise is this that lands a powerful prophet in a cave, that gives us the task of speaking out against hate, a dangerous and difficult and unpopular job indeed? In the midst of turmoil, it can be hard to listen for God's voice. And perhaps that is why God didn't speak in the wind or in the earthquake or in the fire. 
in the midst of the turmoil, Elijah must have been too shaken by the power and the danger of it all to listen. God needed Elijah to see past the drama to see the future. Elijah's faith needed to come not just out of the turmoil, but out of the hope of the future, the place of peace, the quiet rest in God when the dust settles. I'm going to quote a song that many of you may have heard before. It starts, Hello darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again because a vision softly creeping left its seeds while I was sleeping and the vision that was planted in my brain still remains within the sound of silence. In restless dreams, I walked alone, narrow streets of cobblestone. Neath the halo of a street lamp, I turned my collar to the cold and damp. When my eyes were stabbed by the flash of a neon light that split the night and touched the sound of silence. And in the naked light, I saw 10,000 people, maybe more, People talking without speaking. People hearing without listening. People writing songs that voices never share. No one dare disturb the sound of silence. Fools, said I, you do not know. Silence like a cancer grows. Hear my words that I might teach you. Take my arms that I might reach you. But my words like silent raindrops fell and echoed in the wells of silence. And the people bowed and prayed to the neon god they made. And the sign flashed out its warning in the words that it was forming. And the sign said, the words of the prophets are written on the subway walls and the tenement halls, and whispered in the sounds of silence. This is a song by Simon and Garfunkel. And in this song, there is a sense of loss and lament over the unheard voices of the oppressed and the hurt and the downtrodden. It is one of the most deeply heartfelt and theologically relevant pop songs I have ever heard. But it misses the hope. They nailed it when they sang that we need to stop and listen more, to hear the unsung songs, and to break the silence. But the song just sort of drops off a sad cliff at the end. It is a call to arms with no resolution offered. So thank God for Jesus Christ, the ultimate resolution. You see, Galatians tells us that we are all equal in Christ, and not one of us has the ability to judge whether or not another truly has received the gift of grace 
from Jesus. We are equal, not the same. This isn't about not seeing the differences between people. That would be silly. But embracing everyone equally for who they are and giving everyone a voice. Anyone who has ever felt voiceless or powerless or downtrodden in their lives knows how important it is to have a voice in the world. Sometimes we have to shut up and listen to the silence because that's where God speaks. We have to listen to the voices that haven't been heard or haven't been allowed to speak because God speaks through them. This isn't about being politically correct. This is about humanity. This is about being human, truly human. This is about the fact that in Jesus, we are all equals. There is hope for absolutely everybody, and absolutely everybody is a precious creation made by God. I wonder if anyone ever told Omar Mateen that he was a precious creation made by God for whom Jesus Christ died. There's a reason that we have a cross up front and center in the sanctuary. And there is a reason that in Protestant church services we don't have a figure of Jesus on that cross that we have up front. It's because this is not a sign of our shame or of our guilt. It is a sign of our hope. Hope of salvation. Hope of resurrection. Hope that in the darkest of times we are not left alone by our Heavenly Father, but rather God came down to walk among us and to be here with us in the midst of our darkest times. Jesus Christ is the hope that we must look to in difficult times. Not just dark public times like this past week, but dark private times as well. Sometimes we find ourselves in mourning as a country, and sometimes we find ourselves alone in a cave like Elijah. But there is always the hope of Jesus Christ to look to in ourselves and in the people that we find around us. Rather than running to fear or to anger in response to something as horrific as last Sunday's massacre, we run to the arms of God our Father. In my church this morning, the last hymn that we sang, or the hymn we sang immediately after the sermon, rather, was Rock of Ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let us all remember that in the dark times where we struggle to find which voices to hear, when we wrestle with the darkness of the silence, let us remind ourselves that we can hide ourselves in the arms of God the Father, each of us, regardless of who we are. Amen.